Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Rich Allen and Peter Rutzler. Now that international football is on the back burner until March, it's time to dig into the real meat of the league uh, season. And now is where teams really need to start performing. So who made the jump and who's still in the doghouse? All of that and more, including a few of your questions after the latest headlines. Saint-Étienne got their new regime off to a bad start as Julien Sablé's side lost 3-1 in their first, his first home game. Uh, on Friday, well, away game, sorry, from Friday to Lille. Uh, the hosts have now won two in a row as well, thanks to a third goal in two games from Nicolas Pepe and a double assist from Anwar El Ghazi. Amiens also impressed later that evening as they earned a point against Monaco. The champions were behind for well, 60 minutes of the game, but Stefan Jovetic saved their blushes after Serge Gakpé opened the scoring. Paris Saint-Germain remain unbeaten after beating Nantes 4-1 at the Parc de Prince. A double from Edinson Cavani saw his league-leading total reach 15 in just 13 league uh, matches. In the multiplex, Rennes were defeated in their first match under Nubosh Sabri Lemouchi, with Morgan Amalfitano seeing red in their 2-1 loss to Strasbourg. While in Dijon, uh, earned, they earned their first back-to-back wins of the season, with Junior Tavares notching a brace in their 3-1 win at home to Troyes. Elsewhere on Saturday, bottom side Mets managed a goalless draw against Toulouse, despite having Falou Diagne sent off after 23 minutes, and Gangomp held on to a one-all scoreline after oh, against Angers after seeing Luca Doe receive his marching orders in the second half. On Sunday, Kong fought back in added time to draw at home with Nice, who went ahead through Pierre-Lise Melou, but Ronnie Rodelan earned a point for the surprise package, while Toulouse earned their third draw against... The, sorry, Montpellier, apologies, earned their third draw against the top three sides as they kept Lyon to a stalemate at the Puck OL. And in the final game of the weekend, Morgan Sanson scored in the last kick of the game to earn a one-all draw against Bordeaux. Nicolas de Preville put the hosts ahead with the first goal, well, his first goal for the club inside three minutes, but they could not hold on to the three points. Finally, this evening, uh, Amiens made it six unbeaten in all competitions as they won their rescheduled fixture against Lille 3-0. The visitors will be slightly aggrieved, having led the initial match when it was abandoned due to a stand barrier collapsing, injuring several visiting supporters. And that's all for the news. But remember, to stay up to date with all your French football news, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with Le Verre who parted ways with Oscar Garcia this week. Uh, it was a bit of surprise to many, Rich, but what do you think to the move overall? Um, it, it seemed that there was there was a growing sense of um, a, a sort of parting of ways between Oscar Garcia and where he wanted to take the club and then the uh, uh, sort of board level and what they saw as the future and and pro, uh, for the progress of Saint Etienne, um, 
I think it's been quite clear for a few weeks now that those tensions have taken uh, a turn for the worse. Um, I think performances on the pitch were perhaps a, a reflection of that. So maybe that this was this was uh, something that yeah, on the face of it, from from the start that Santetian had made, and you know how long they they gave Galtier, and it seems quite a, a snap move, but. You know, Garcia was obviously not happy. Um, you know, from from what I think people can gather is that there were perhaps promises made with regards to um, acquisitions that were made in the summer, and then uh, performances recently have have led to um, some of the senior bods behind the scenes questioning Garcia. Garcia not liking that, taking umbrage to to their sort of perceived interference and. It sort of culminated with everybody throwing their toys out the pram and Garcia quitting and saying, you know, that that's enough of that. Thank you very much. Um, Wrighton really was on the wall, I think, after that ridiculous 5-0 home defeat to Leon. You know, you can't you can't put in a performance as abject as that against your biggest rivals and, and not expect there to be some serious repercussions um, throughout the entire squad. So I, I would like to have seen them... Uh, you know, sort of try and work on their differences because, you know, the start of the season, you know, I'll include myself here, I was very positive with what Garcia seemed to be doing with the club. Um, you know, they were putting in some really attractive displays. They looked great going forward. They were scoring goals, playing entertaining football, all things that seemed to have been lacking from the sort of tail end of the Galtier era. And so it's quite refreshing to see a Santetian side that, that, that played that way. Slowly but surely, those behind-the-scenes issues have, have, have bubbled away. And, yeah, in recent weeks, we've seen a real downturn in performances, almost taking steps backwards to back to sort of the way that they played under Gaute and perhaps regressing even further back um, because some of the performances that they put in recently, um, you know, to pick out some, you know, losing away at Troyes, losing at home to Montpellier, um, and then obviously then the drubbing at home to Lille. It's just not good enough for this Saint-Étienne side. So it, it's a shame that this, uh, you know, Garcia era couldn't have gone on any further. But, you know, ultimately, if those kind of tensions are, exi uh, are existing, then there's only one inevitability. Yeah, and it, it stems back all the way, really, to the summer, Peter. I mean, there was issues on both sides at the end of it. The Spaniard obviously disappointed that he'd given a dossier of 20 to 25 players and, all of them had pretty much been rejected by the board in one way or another. I remember Bojan being one of those players he was looking at. The, the players that the club really wanted, like Luis Dioni, who did eventually go over the line, was rejected three times by, by Garcia. Obviously, he's not played an enormous amount as we might have expected so far this season. That could be the reason why. Um, and then the board are also annoyed that the lack of attacking football that they thought they might get under Garcia, having... Well, suffered might be the, the, the not the best way of putting it, but under Galtier, he does play a, a defensive style of football. But where do you think the issues lie? It, it, is this an issue with the board not flexing enough under a new manager? Or is this is this a case of a manager maybe wanting too much autonomy? Uh, I think it's a bit of both. Um, you touched on the major issues there, and I think Rich covered it very well as well. Um, quite clearly, there there is more than just the, the heavy defeat at, at Lyon, which was essentially the the final nail in the coffin. The, I think Lekeep said on Thursday, they were talking about how um, he, he had problems with the internal operating of the club. 
some kind of almost amateurism. And you look at some of the key figures at the top, uh, Chairman Roland Romayet, um, they've been there a while. They don't see the issue as anything to do with themselves. Um, but, you know, as you say, that he's, he's obviously come in with a, with a remit to reform the way they're playing. They, under Gautier, they weren't the most attractive side. Um, and, and the remit was to make them more attacking, and obviously that stems from his, his Barcelona heritage. And we did see glimpses of that at the start, with their, with their three wins in, on the trot, and it seemed as though maybe they were going in that direction, but quite clearly this has been nibbling away behind the scenes, and that interaction between himself and the board and, and the way things are, they're doing things um, has, has come to a head. And I think transfers is, is very important. Um, if you are going to change the philosophy of any club, you need to bring in the right players. I mean, you can look at Frank De Boer at Crystal Palace, who was given the same sort of remit, wasn't he? He was given the remit of um, coming in, bringing that Dutch, almost Cruyffian, similar kind of uh, uh, focus, I guess, if you, if you consider the legacies of, of Ajax and, and Barcelona. Um, but he had to do it with a Crystal Palace squad that was rooted in uh, rigidity. Uh, and I think you can you can make some comparisons here with Sanity. And um, I mean, the players they brought in weren't who Garcia wanted, and it, they certainly were, I think there was a difference of, of opinion there. Um, I mean, Cavella was a good addition very late on. Uh, I haven't seen too much of him though. Um, he's helped by injuries and absentees. Um, it's. <sighs> I think Garcia would have wanted a bigger change, but then at the same time, with any kind of wholesale change, you need to give them time. Um, and, and Garcia wasn't given that, but it, it seems as though, at least from his perspective, he didn't think he would be given the opportunities to make the most of any time, judging from the fact that he didn't take a severance pay for his dismissal, that this is quite clearly a mutual uh, agreement, or at least coming from, from Garcia as much as, as of the club. Uh, but in terms of squad, I think there is, there is that, that element to it. Um, we saw, I think when we started, we, we were lauding, you know, the, the brightness of, of, of Bamba, uh, finally, you know, showing some potential, and, and Darbo as well being brought back in from the cold. And then you see the contrast now, I think, against Leon, Bamba shrouded in that the contract nonsense, and, and Darbo didn't start. That's just one uh, set of examples. So, yeah, no, it's, it's certainly a bit of both in terms of whether it's backroom or his own uh, motivation there but um, it was a little bit of a shock but quite clear this has been bubbling away for some time yeah it felt like Garcia maybe doubted himself midway through that that spell of, of performing well it what it's it started to go a little bit more stale and he went away from playing like the likes of, of Darbo and DUC who started the season really well together as being a bit more forward-thinking midfielders than what we've experienced in Saint-Étienne recently. And when you've got players like Bamba and and Hamuma, who are creative, excellent players, and I'm I'm still surprised he didn't at least give Dioni a chance. I mean, he's a he's a league arm goal scorer. He scored plenty for Dijon last season, and he should be getting more for Saint-Étienne. Really, with the if he gets the chances there, it just seems a little bit odd, really. But it's a new era um, with Lever, Rich, and that falls on Julien Sable. Um, does this feel more like a, a yes man for the board, or maybe a, a, a similar move to, ironically, their their crosstown rivals in Leon with Bruno Genesio, of, of maybe someone that the the board now will will do exactly as they require? Oh, well, I think absolutely. Um, unlike with Leon, there was a a need to get 
the squad back on side with the, with the coach. I don't think there was too much, um, you know, there was too many issues between the bulk of the squad and, and Garcia. Um, but this is very much their guy now. He will, you know, toe the party line. But ultimately, you know, any new coach is going to be is going to be under pressure with this Santitian squad. If they if their remit is we want attractive football, the problem you've got is this is still for the for the the most significant part anyway is is still a Galtier squad. Um, there's still Galtier players. There's still really a, a, I think quite a significant lack in 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 spark and in in sort of creativity going forward. Um, we saw glimpses that Garcia may have, you know, over time may have possessed the talent to to mould and remould and morph that squad into a into a, a more um, uh, sort of pleasing on the eye team. Um, but ultimately, it was still uh, still a Galtier squad. It was still I use this term to describe Santiago. It's sort of stodgy side that desperately I think really wanted to continue playing that sort of five at the back, you you know, you will not score past us mentality that the board clearly wanted to, to move on from. Um you know, whether the new whether the new coaching appointment will allow them to, to do that. I, I struggle to see how. I struggle to see what what sort of coach that Santetian could realistically get could come in and get that team performing to the the style that the board want. I think if you if the board wants a change in style, and I think it was the same argument as, as P mentioned that, that Frank the board face, you've got to give him time. If you're not going to give him the squad, you've got to give him time. And they, you know, the board made it clear that he wasn't going to get the squad that he wanted in the summer. And unfortunately, then they haven't been able to come to some kind of agreement over giving him the time to morph it. So uh, ultimately, unless unless things change in the in the January transfer window and you know, quite significant changes they're making, the board aren't going to get that style of play that they want. No. It, I think it was more surprising to hear the, the bosses say that he was the permanent manager. There was no, there was no interim about uh, Sablay's appointment. It, it seems like it restricts themselves a little bit too much, really, in, in uh, attempting to try and find another one. I, I mean, we're comparing it to some England job, well, jobs in England, at least anyway, in the likes of... Uh, West Ham and Everton, where they they are looking for essentially a stopgap until maybe trying for the summer. Maybe maybe Santetia maybe should have thought down that lines. But let's let's talk about the game really on uh, on Friday night. And with a new man in charge, the results really don't change so quickly. I mean, Leo came in. Well, Leo hosted them and uh, played played really well. Re- bounced back again from that from that Marseille game, Peter. They they. The Lilas are starting to find something about themselves. I know they they obviously lost this evening, but it's it's a little bit extenuating circumstances in the sense that they played Friday, but so did Amien, obviously. So it's it's a little bit of a mute point. But they performed really well in this one, especially in the second half. Yeah, no, they did. Um, I mean, it does taint it a little bit by how how they did tonight. I mean, they weren't that that poor tonight. Um, they did actually do quite well. It's just that Amien were very effective in how they set up and, and caught them three times and. And put them to the sword a little bit, uh, but yeah, it's a, it was an impressive win. And although Sanetien's form has been poor, um, as we all know, um, I thought I was quite impressed with Lille actually. And it, it was nice to see some of their the, those names they brought in, the youngsters uh, 
showing the, the, the talent that they've got. Um, you had Arrojo, you had Ponce getting on the score sheet as well, the, the loney from Roma. Uh, you had that wonderful goal from Thiago Mendes. Beautiful curling effort from outside the penalty area. And, you know, for once they combined their dominance of the ball with the, with goals. Um, one, of the, one of the major issues with, with the pressing game that, that Bielsa makes them play is that when they do go forward and uh, and do try to doggedly win the ball back, they, they leave themselves horribly exposed. And that was made evident by, by the performance tonight. Um, I think their recent back-to-back wins, of course, against Mets, it was... <laughs> You know, it was a bit hit and miss in terms of whether they deserved it or not. Um, but we saw huge positives against Marseille before that, um, although they lost and they probably deserved to win that game. Um, and it seems like they're slowly coming around to how Bielsa wants them to play. And Bielsa is, is, is adapting slightly to, to uh, compensate for the defensive holes and, and gaps that the, the way they're playing has, has so far led to. Tonight was really disappointing. Um, they were caught out. The second goal was a mistake. Uh, some very well taken goals by by Amiens, um, but they were just they were not very. They don't have that focal point, uh, Lille. They're, they're not very ruthless. They're not very clinical, and they don't create too many clear cut chances. It's not helped by Nicola Pepe being up front. He did score on on Friday night. It was a good header, but it was poor defending from from Pogba and Pierre Gabriel. And there's no communication between the two. Um, but he doesn't provide that focal point. Uh, and it does seem that they, they've missed that. And it's, you know, it comes from the, the, the decision to, to uh, sell Depreville. Um, but it's, it's, it's still Lille in that crucial point still. I mean, um, Luis Campos, who's part of the, the setup uh, as part of the project, um, he's been linked with Chelsea and obviously the, the, the technical director role um, left open by Michael Emanale. So it feels like if... <laughs> without the, the, the previous two successive wins, and, and Friday night, of course, you're looking at a Bielsa gone, potentially a Campos gone, and suddenly the project's in tatters. That's one potential outlook. But the results have meant that you know we're, we're still seeing it, and they're giving time to Bielsa, something that um, wasn't the case at, at San Etienne, as we were saying. So uh, I was impressed on Friday, less so tonight, um, but it, it's the positives they're taking forward, and it's good for the atmosphere around the squad. And it's good to see those the, the younger... Uh, the talented players they brought in the summer, some of them starting to really show uh, their potential. Yeah, and one player I, I really thought played well at the weekend was was uh, Anuel Algarzi. He sets up two of the goals. The the first especially was an excellent cross for Nicola Pepe, and I think he has every right to go and uh, go and give him a little bit of a smack. Really, if he misses that kind of chance, it's, it was begging for someone to bury it in there. It's nice to see him after a couple of years really of, of struggling to find it, find a new place, get a a little bit of a good start for Lille, although tonight's result taints it a little bit. But the winners of that game, Amien, what a couple of weeks, well, a couple of days, really, it's been for, for the club. And one of the real surprises of the weekend, at least, was them earning a point against Monaco, uh, Rich. It, it was a cracking result, wasn't it? And they, arguably, they, they could have won that game. Uh, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I, I don't want to do Amien a disservice, but... It should be caveated that this was a a very poor Monaco performance, but Amiens contained them. I mean, you know, they've they've looked very comfortable. I was I was one of those at the start of the season that thought, you know, a wonderful story, Amiens being up, but they're just going to be absolute whipping boys. Um, you know, by the third week, I was 
happy to be sort of not happy as but I was being proved right you know they they not scored they were you know on the end of uh in their opening game actually didn't play too badly but then lost the to Angers comfortably comfortably beaten away at and you thought you know oh, is it going to be one of these sort of sorry stories of everybody wanting Amiens to do well but they just um you know they're sort of relegated by February kind of thing but then they got their win over over Nice and the few nerves but yeah this current run has been incredible um you know for a side that have, have effectively sort of come from nowhere the last couple of seasons for me it's how comfortable they look in defense you know so many teams that come up um from from the second division you know they're just going to leak goals um I mean, I'm doing, not doing that. They're looking incredibly organised. They don't look panicked. They know what they're doing. They're setting up properly. You know, everybody's playing with the, you know, playing playing as part of the team. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just a terrific run of performances. You know, you really can't fault them. Um, and then, okay, with you know a comfortable win tonight, but that that results at home to Monaco. Um, you know, it's the one that stands out. And and they were terrific, you know. They 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 didn't look overawed by Monaco. They didn't look panicked by the proposition that they were coming up against. Um, they were incredibly organised. Uh, and as you say, yeah, they could they could have sneaked it. Um, you know, they certainly had the chances. Um, maybe that's the only criticism you can have of Amiens at the minute is arguably they're not quite scoring enough. Well, Three nil tonight, maybe um renders that moot as well as, as we've recently discussed but um i've been thoroughly impressed by them uh, and you know pleased to see they're just to be put to the sword week in week out yeah and i, I remember a few chances really especially for musa canato i think he had two or three where even he couldn't believe he'd try not hit the target on some of them they, they really did excellently I, I thought especially in the first half they they looked like a lot of teams that come against up against those sort of big sides do play a solid defensive game and just kind of see what happens from there. But no, I mean, we're willing to take the game to him. I thought Gakpe and, and Kakuta were both excellent as well on, on either side of the forward. I thought they, they broke well into into dangerous areas and, and, and really gave a, a real good account of themselves. Yes, there's the caveat that Monaco weren't so great and also one eye might be on that Champions League fixture tomorrow as well. But they were really, really superb. And and the the point would be, Peter, and it's it's punctuated by tonight's result with a three nil a three nil win thanks to a a double from uh, Harrison Manzala and uh, and Musa Kanate coming on and, and grabbing a goal as well with Lassina Traore starting, which uh, seems like a world away from from where he used to be at least. Anyway, but these kind of results, especially so close to each other, they can give them so much confidence. I mean, looking at the table at the moment, there is it's a bit of a a minefield at the moment. I mean, Colin in sixth are on 19 points and Lille in 19th are on 12 points and everyone's on a little bit in between. But 15 points in 13 games, it's nothing to nothing to not shout about, really, for, for a club that we expected to sink like a stone. Yeah, no, I, I really agree with Rich as well. They, they've got this sort of the way they play. It's not like a typical promoter side, either like Strasbourg, where they just go gung-ho at home games or, um, you know, they, they, they're leaky at the back. There's... I was watching them tonight. I must be one of the rare few who managed to watch it tonight. And they, they have this sort of security about the way they play. 
it's it, there's no sense of impending fear when when another side comes forward. I mean, Lille had a lot of the ball this evening, um, and you always felt that they had some sort of sense of control of the game. It wasn't at any stage was was out out of touch of themselves. If that if that makes sense, and I was very impressed with them this evening. Um, and yeah, it's, their run of form has come at a really good time. It seems like uh, um, that a lot of what Policia has been putting together is is coming to, to fruition at the moment. Um, it's never an easy task with with back to back promotions. Um, it's all their their backstory is outlined uh, really well by by Adam um, and Eric's uh, piece for for the website, and, and it's on the Guardian as well. Um, because they've had their own uh, squad surgery done to them, like many clubs in Liga, it seems to be a recurring theme. Um, name, obviously, Abubakar Kamara went to Fulham, and, uh, and the standout name is, is Tangi Ndombele. He started the season so brightly, and what a talent he looks at Leon. Uh, but then they brought in really effective and uh, useful players. Lassine Traore, as you just mentioned, I mean, that's a, that's a really big coup for them, I would say. A couple of seasons ago, um, Serge Gakpé has got plenty of, of uh, league experience, done the rounds as well, and, and obviously the standout name is, is Gael Kakuta, and he looks uh, to be the player that, or well, maybe this is his home. Maybe he's finally found a place where he can really push on. I mean, another couple of the, another assist this evening. The his assist for for Gakpé's goal was superb uh, against Monaco. A knife through butter pass after an excellent first touch. You know, he's, he's done the round since Chelsea. Uh, he's come in from China. They've, they've, they've picked him up and he's done well. And, you know, they, they, they've, they've made a really good fist of what they're doing at the moment. It's, it's interesting that um, the league is tightening up the way it is. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're run a form, what, six games without defeat now? We, the side nearest to them, Strasbourg, also back to promotions. They've only lost one in the last seven. So it's, you get the sort of condensing. Obviously, Lille have back-to-back wins before tonight. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so you, you're looking at a condensed table, and it's important that Amion kept touch with everyone, um, and that's something they've done, and they haven't been cut adrift. And going forward, you, you would imagine that you know that they are going to put up a fight. I don't know if they're going to do, be able to have enough, but they've put themselves in a position to contest it um, in a way that you know sides in the past have come up and not been able to do. Especially seeing as the gap between Liga and Ligue 2 is so great. And, Obviously, last season with the the six sides in the six-way showdown on the last day of the season, it just shows how compact it is in Liga, and, and the step up is so much higher. Uh, especially considering the third tier, which is where Hamillon were the season before, is is barely professional. So they've done remarkably well so far, and, and tonight's result really is a is merited of their current form. And hopefully, they can they can continue to to keep it up. But, um, yeah, they've done very very well. And, uh, the statistic I quite like with them is that if you take tonight's game back when it should have been, which is the week eight game, you include the the, the six games, including that one, they've only conceded four goals. Now, only two teams have conceded fewer, and that's Toulouse and Montpellier. The context, Amiens have conceded four goals in that run. Monaco and Lyon have conceded five. PSG have conceded six. Eight, Saint-Étienne conceded 12. I think only just goes to highlight we bang on about, you know, if you score goals, you've got a chance of staying up. 
as obvious thing as it is to say, if you're going to have an incredibly strong defence, you're going to have just as much chance as well. So, you know, here's hoping that Amiens can continue that run. The easiest comparison with, with Amiens is, is to Strasbourg because both the sides have had back-to-back promotions. Strasbourg have invested. They play. Strasbourg defensively look all over the place at times. There is no, there is real fear when sides go forward with Kone um, and, and Mongan, who's now, who's now been dropped, thankfully, for them. But you don't get that with Amiens. There is real stability at the back, um, led by Guttner, their keeper, as well. So, you know, that, that, that's one of the main contrasts and, and it's vitally important. I mean, whereas where Strasbourg have improved is they've managed to outscore teams. Um, with, with Amiens, they, they've shut the door and it's been effective for them and they're picking up the points. Yeah, you whisper it quietly. I, they feel a little bit like an Angers side that came up a couple of years ago where they were defence first, let's make sure we don't concede game, goals and try and create something with some, some crafty, t- intelligent play in the sort of in the further end, and they're, they're, although it's not as quite battering Rami as as uh, Shaken Doyle was in that first season, it, it's a little bit more graceful than that. That they're starting to pick up points now. And you look at the the couple of teams we've mentioned. I'm also going to include Dijon in this, who who've won back to back games as well. The informed sides at that sort of more difficult half of the table. I mean, I've got Mets next, who are pretty much cut adrift already, which is a worrying sign for them. Dijon, I've got Toulouse, who are uh, flip flopping every week. They seem to not be able to find their level and and Strasbourg are away to Saint-Étienne there's some really good chances for them to keep picking up points at this time in the in period like I mentioned earlier that there's a lot of teams all bunched up together especially on 15 points I think there's one two th- there's five teams on 15 points at the moment and there's another two following them on 14 and one on 16 it's it's a very very close-knit thing with teams beating each other a very exciting time really for league on but moving on very quickly to their opponents who have Obviously, Champions League um, assignment this uh, Tuesday against RB Leipzig. A victory is, is all they need. Well, anything less than that might seal their fate. I mean, a defeat will definitely keep them out of Europe altogether. Rich, was this a bit of the same old worries we've had with Monaco for, so far this season? They're maybe not as secure defensively. I know, uh, and uh, <laughs> they didn't really create as much. Teams are starting to sort of figure out how they're playing in the in the sort of four four two. I think so. I think there's there seems to be an element of if um, you know sort of get almost get the ball to Falcao and hope that he scores. Um, I think he's gone a couple of games after sort of a, a really really strong start for for him personally. Um, I don't think he's quite been the same player the last few weeks. Um, I, I mean, I, I've been a believer since it's, since it was apparent that you know all these changes that have happened and. First couple of Champions League games didn't go their way. I believe that it's probably going to be best for Monaco to get out of Europe. That almost would include the Europa League in that. Um, you know, they're, 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 the way that that club is set up, the key thing for them is to ensure that they get that Champions League place come the end of the season. You know, it's quite clear now that they're probably not going to um retain the league title um and so they need to be wary of the form of the teams behind them now um so for me europe is 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 now becoming a bit, a bit of a distraction um it's not the squad but it used it was last season obviously it never it was it was never going to be but 
what I think Jardine now needs to do is, is, as he did last season, get that strongest 11. Work out that strongest 11 and play them week in, week out. I still don't 100% think he knows quite what his strongest formation, what his strongest setup is yet. That in part could be one of the reasons why they've they've perhaps struggled. But um, as yeah, as you say, this 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 sort of only highlighted perhaps the issues that the the team has faced the first part of the season. Yeah, no, I, I was going to mention in, in the brief intro that, I, and I, I'll bring you on this, Peter, as well. That they've got a couple of injuries at the moment, but they've had a little bit of trouble at right back. Dribio Sidibe has got a, a knock and uh, Almami Torre is currently out through illness. And that meant Andre Raji had to deputise in, in their stead. And he was really poor at the weekend. I mean, he got t- he got taken on about two or three or four separate occasions by almost different players as well. It, he lacked a little bit of pace and Jemison was out of position a number of times. Glick felt like he was looking at around and seeing if there was actually anyone in a Monaco shirt that was playing with him at, at, the, at the weekend. It, are those defensive concerns that we had maybe at the start of last season sort of creeping back in? Uh, they're a little uncharacteristic. I think Raji did have a bad game, but we may not say too many things bad about him because Eric will get upset about it. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, no, he didn't have the best of games. And I, I would say, that obviously, injury, injuries are important. And, and once we get uh, Sidibe back, it should help them in, on that front. Um, defensively, it's, it's uncharacteristic. I think uh, what's lacking for me is midfield. Um, I think that the loss of Bakayoko has actually been more profound than has been made out. And I think that's really affected them when they've tried to play a 4-4-2. I think Monaco are best when they play free in the middle because... I mean, against uh, Amiens, they went with, with Tielemans and Fabinho. And Fabinho was excellent, as, as always. Um, Tielemans was okay, but it's, it's just the balance of the two. Where, where, whereas Bakayoko offered that, uh, that ability to dominate games physically in a way that Tielemans can't do. And that, that provides insurance if you've got either or going forward and the other can work back. And I think Tielemans has, has either got to, to add that to his game or be sat in with a free. But then, if you take a free, then you have to you lose that that uh, explosive attackingness that Jardim's side had last year, with with two up top, oh, and then you're looking at a four three three or or a four five one, um, just to provide that security because they are a little bit exposed, and and whereas before they would blow teams away, very very quickly, scoring high numbers of goals, and you wouldn't really matter, and sides didn't even get a foot didn't get a look in. Now we're kind of seeing that and. When you've got a, a weakness, say at fullback, um, that's going to be exposed. Uh, I think um, I disagree slightly with you, Rich, about about Europe. I I, I completely agree that they're they um, that Yardin definitely doesn't know his side at the moment. It's it's changing quite frequently. I think we were pretty close to it in terms of if he wants to play four four two with you know, with uh, with, um, with Jovetic uh, once he starts to get a run of games. Um, but I, I think Europe will, will offers Monaco that, that chance to develop, and they've got to keep in mind where they want to be. I mean, of course, it's essential that they get the Champions League spot, but I can't see anyone stopping them. Lyon are the closest side to them, and I, Marseille aren't going to uh, join that, that, that top trio. So I think, in my opinion, I think Monaco will be fine in getting the, the Champions League spot, and I think it's important that they stay in on the basis that it it, for them, makes them more marketable in terms of saying the kind of club they want to be and attracting players. Of course, 
we, they have sold so many players to, to other clubs in the summer, but they're also able to recruit very well on the basis of who they are and what they've done uh, in Europe as much as in Liga. And, and Europe is the selling point, and, and as PSG well know. So for them to drop out of Europe entirely looks quite bad, not only for Monaco, but also for, the, for Liga. But I, I think for them, it's essential that they, they show some kind of the fight. I think if they drop into the Europa League, they could go quite far. Obviously, it doesn't help in terms of a uh, number of games, but I think they've got enough players. I think Jardim is willing enough to, to try out as many different players as possible, trying to find his, his best level at the moment, that it wouldn't necessarily be a negative thing. That, that's my take on it. I, I, I don't know if you want to say anything on that, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it is development. I think this season is more of transition, but they've got to keep themselves at a level rather than drop off entirely. Yeah, I think I'll very quickly end the the European talk. The the fact that it's what I think it's one of my favourite ironies in in world football is that every team wants to play in Europe, and yet after a certain stage, it becomes oh, Europe's a distraction. <laughs> Let's get out of Europe now, so we can qualify for Europe again, and then get back into Europe. Um, that cycle will perpetuate forever and, and more. But let's let's move on to a, a game where it was better late than never, really, is what we'll, most would say. And, and Marseille certainly left it very late, literally to the last kick against uh, Bordeaux at the weekend. Uh, Rich, this felt like a game... To- Richie's... Technical. Hello. Hello. Ah, the the apologies Hello. for the the technical issues there, for everyone. Um, there's might been a bit of a internet downtime that sort of <laughs> cut us off a little bit. I'll, I'll pass that on to you, uh, Peter, while while uh, Rich tries to rejoin us here. Um, so what the game on the weekend. So it, yeah, it felt like a bit like a game that both sides uh, kind of summarised their season, didn't it? Yeah, it did a little bit. Um, it's. Frustration for, for Bordeaux and that they they started well and then it ends badly and and, and Marseille we still are none the wiser in terms of what they are. Um, I read a description of Marseille actually they're, they're domineering but sterile and I really really like that um, in terms of how how they approach games. Um, it's it was a great start for Bordeaux and, and such a huge moment for for De Preville to get that first goal. He's been it's been so important that he scores for them. Um, but again, it, the issues of profligacy struck in that Sankari missed two glorious chance, chances to, which could have made the game a lot. So that said, Marseille, it wasn't as though Marseille didn't deserve to take a point from the game. But when you are 1-0 up in that position and it is stoppage time, you, you need to see those games out. And it was just a lump forward from Mondanda that fell kindly for Sanson. 
Drew at level. So it, you, it certainly does give that reflection of of it being uh, reminiscent of their season so far, for sure. I think uh, with, with Marseille, we got the uh, this disjointedness feel, the the Metroglou offering very, very little up top. Um, obviously, I think Luis Gustavo was a big miss for them in the middle. Um, and Tovan was consistent as always. But th then on the other hand, you had uh, <laughs> Bordeaux offering plenty of fret, yet little in terms of end, end product. Um, Malcolm didn't have the best game, but I think in part that was due to Jordan Amavi, who I thought was absolutely superb at left back. And I think he is a, he's, a, he's a boost for them in the wake of... Uh, well, he's going to help them pass over Everett, not that they were worried about him anyway. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely reflective of the season so far, um, for sure. Rich, let's, let's focus on Bordeaux for a moment, really. We mentioned in the last couple of weeks that they've looked a little disappointing, a little... Um, individualistic you might say but that they were better in this one and it, and it helped with a with an early goal and a nice finish from uh, Depraval to finally get off the mark for the team but again it was they created a couple of opportunities for Sankari like Peter mentioned but it just never really still isn't quite clicking in the way you would hope it with talents like Francois Camano and Malcolm on, on the wings they should be a better attacking force than they are yeah, I think it's no coincidence that the sort of Bordeaux run has stuttered slightly uh, along with, with the form of Malcolm dropping off. Um, you know, he's such an integral player in how the, in, in you know, everything good that um, sorry Bordeaux do. Um, I don't think the last few games he's quite been at the races. Um, so perhaps it's not, not too much of a shock that in turn um, Bordeaux's form has followed suit. Uh, I still think they need. Um, I know I'm a big fan of De Preville and, and I know you are as well, and a lot of others are. I still think they need uh, a more deadly striker. I do think they need a more out-and-out -out striker. De Preville can can play a little deeper, can also play a little wider as well. I do think they miss, uh, you know, a more classical centre forward. Um, so, you know, saying that. There's time, you know. I'm a big, big fan of Gorvanek. Um, You know, look at what he did with Gangon. I'm, you know, pleasing so far with what he's doing with Bordeaux. Um, but I do think that they're going through a little bit of a lull, and I think it's going to be a real test of, of his ability as to whether he can turn this round. Because certainly, the start of the season with the signings that they'd made over the summer, I thought this Bordeaux team would be challenging for a, a certainly a top five. Arguably, arguably, they could have even sneaked maybe a, a, a you know get that third spot. Um, but the, I mean, the, the current form they're doing, uh, the current form that they're in, sorry, you know, it's it's not quite good enough. And as you, you touched upon with your, your question to Peter, the the one all draw uh, Sunday night was very very typical of 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 both teams in so much as there's a lot of you know there's positives to take, but at the minute they're still not quite good enough to be a, a regular converter of three points. And in in this game, Bordeaux sat back a little bit further, especially when they did get the 1-0 the no head start, and especially in the second half. And that seemed to suit their defenders a lot more, especially Toulon, who had a pretty decent game. But it just, it's a real gut punch, isn't it? 
Peter, to, to concede a goal, it's literally the last kick of the game. I mean, the referee blows the whistle. He doesn't bother with the kickoff. He just accepts that that's the goal that, that's finished the game, really. It's a real gut punch in the last minute, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, the atmosphere was fantastic as well. You had the, the ultramarine uh, the, the positively bouncing up until that point. Uh, it is a kick in the teeth uh, at that point because they had defended so well. And as you were saying, by sitting deeper, they were able to stifle Marseille. Um, but then again, they're not really tested by Marseille's front line in terms of pace and acceleration. And Mitroglou offers very, very little other than the odd header or a tap-in after missing three or four. Uh, Payet in the first half was very, very ineffective. Not helped, of course, by the fact he's coming back from injury. And uh, But after half-time, he, uh, when Maxime Lopez came on, they, they looked a little bit more uh, influential going forward. Uh, Tovan doesn't offer that that pace. He is quick, but it, it's not something that's going to really test them. So there was also that side to, to why they weren't as exposed as they normally are, Bordeaux, um, which has been one of the problems that they've had, is that, as Rich was saying, once once Malcolm's form drops off and they're not scoring at the other end and asserting controlling games, their defensive vulnerabilities are, are exposed. Um, Toulalon did have a good game. Yeah, I thought he was he was good, but I still don't buy that he's a centre-half. Um, uh, Lebchuk wasn't... was okay. A couple of rash challenges. I think the, the, the two of them as a defensive duo, are not solid enough if they want to be a surefire fit for, for, for European football and European football contention. Um, it, conceding as they did will be a blow, and just in the basis that they want to end their current, their current uh, rut in form. Um, for Marseille, it keeps up their unbeaten form, so that, that's a good thing. It's another confidence boost for them. Um, but yeah, going forward, I think, for, from a Marseille perspective, it's... it's diff- it's so difficult to assess them because of it's just how disjointed and, and I find that they are to me they're an odd side in the, in the terms of the personnel they've got. It's they don't really seem to fit. It reminds me a little bit of uh, of Man United under Louis Van Gaal, with the terms of the the, the latter end of Van Gaal, early Mourinho, the, the squad that they had it, with all these different players. So you had your, your Blint, your, your Rojos, um, your Carrick and then your Pogba in there and Zlatan. It just felt disjointed. And I, it feels a little bit like this with Marseille. It's almost as if they're, they're halfway in, progre- in their progression to build a team, which they are, of course, in, in terms of their, their champions project. Um, but it's difficult to see how they fit when you've got players like Germain and, and Ngi on the bench. Offer, they do offer different things, but they come in and you've got Payet, who's, who's much slower in terms of build-up, and you've got Matroglu, who's not going to run, so he's not going to give them any options going forward. You've got Gustavo, who's excellent in the field, um, interchange with either Anguisa or, or Sanson in, in the centre. And defensively, of course, they've got Rolando and Rami, who are ageing and a bit slow and slow on the turn. And it's, I, I, I don't know, it's, with Marseille, they're, they're hard to pin down, but it does feel like they're still in that, that progression. And looking forward, they want to just be progressing, get into Europe again, and then move on forward. But for Bordeaux, as, as we've already covered, it's it's a question of of finding that form again. And as Rich said, it's so reliant on, on Malcolm and it shouldn't really be that, especially with attacking players they've got. And even though I agree they do need a, a central focal point, you know, players like Kamano and other players have brought in, Cafu, for example, uh, De Prevalin himself can, can change games. So really, it's not as though they don't have the, the, the arsenal, it's, it's, a, it's a question of, of actually performing and it is a challenge for Gorbanek to, to address. 
Yeah, it also reminds me of another sort of champions project, you would say, and, and another team, in, ironically, Manchester and Manchester City around the sort of 2008-2009 era where you were seeing the likes of, of Tevez and Robinho mixing with Sean Wright Phillips and Craig Bellamy and De Jong and Adebayor. It's just a, a mix of talent that have done reasonably well alongside a couple of interesting players like Company and Zabaleta that, that ended up being very good players for that, for that club as well. It's just, it doesn't seem like they've got the right concoction. It doesn't seem like it's the right way go, going forward. It's almost a blueprint that a club with a little bit of cash to spend just tends to try and buy names and, and then see if they gel together in, in some kind of form. But it's, it's clearly not working on a consistent basis anyway, at least. Uh, but there is one man I, I really want to mention, and Rich, and that's the goal scorer, really, Morgan Sanson, who I believe is probably, uh, other than maybe Tovan, you might say, Mar- Marseille's most consistent player this season, hasn't he? Or maybe even over the last sort of 18 months. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a big, big fan of his. Um, I think he's been given slightly, um, slightly unfair rubber the green. I think of late he's not been in the squad quite as often with a, a desire to pair Gustavo with uh, with Zambo and Gisa. I think what he can offer is when he's on his day, uh, you know, exceeds pretty much any of those Marseille midfielders. Um, you know, he's got the creativity, he's got the range of passing, he can pop up with the odd goal. He's willing to track back. He's willing to tackle. Um, you know, he's still a relatively young guy, um, uh, and they need to give him time. You know, he he was. I think he was certainly when they had their their bout of signings uh, since McCourt came in. He's certainly one of the ones that made me stand out and think. Actually, you know what, Marseille know what they're doing. With I mean, there's others that have made me think to their transfer policy, but. Sanson was one of those. I mean, you think, yeah, actually, you know what? They know what they're doing. They're they're picking off those excellent young players. It's yeah, it's very much like the 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 Leon of a, of a few years ago. Of pick off, um, you know, the quality players within your own league, um, because chances are you're going to get them at a pretty well, a pretty good price. Um, you know, I'm hoping that this this goal, um, combined with with as you say, the sort of good run of form that he's had of late, will ensure that he can have a cast iron spot in that starting 11 because I certainly think he deserves it I think he's he's definitely got the quality he just needs to have the faith I think shown in him by by Garcia yeah and hopefully he does get a better run when uh, when Luis Gustavo comes back because he, he is a real force in that midfield and he played a number of different jobs I mean he made an excellent tackle and, and and was in the perfect positioning for it as well in in a in a Bordeaux counter attack on the first half and obviously ends up in that around about the same area in the box to score the goal that uh, nicks the point in the end as well. It's a very impressive display and he has really risen to the occasion since uh, joining from Montpellier. But we go on to our final well, our final main bit of the the show at least and it's our league and snapshots and I'll start with you, Peter. What's your snapshot this week? Uh, my non-football snapshot will be the use of sofas, as it is Liga Conferama on the sideline at Toulouse. Very comfortable viewing. Uh, and my my football one is based on how tight Liga is, and that is summed up by the fact that no side from second to eleventh, so that's Monaco, Lyon, Marseille, Nantes, Caen, Saint Etienne, Montpellier, Bordeaux, Toulouse, and Rennes. None of them won this weekend, uh, which essentially you could say is, is giving PSG. They run for the title, I guess. Um, 
Yes, but it's, it's condensing, and we, we were talking about the, the bottom half of the table, but, and it's because they're taking points off the top half, so that's good for competition. Mm, yeah, <laughs> unless you're Paris Saint-Germain, I'm pretty sure they'll be delighted to have taken <laughs> at least two points off of every single team in the rest of the top half this this uh, weekend. And, and I enjoyed the sofas at, at Toulouse as well, but I do feel sorry for those VIP fans that they had to... Uh, withstand shall we say that nil-nil draw at uh... it serves them right for choosing to lose yeah <laughs> what why they chose to lose Mets game to have sofas on the side of the pitch i will never know um but <laughs> that's a question for another time i think uh rich what's your snaps up uh very briefly mine's just going back to the uh the bordeaux marseille game um and just the, the taking off at half time of of Pae. um Yes, I'll cut him some slack that he's had a, a slightly injury-prone season. But by and large, he's been so far off the boil. Um, you know, he, he returned to Marseille from his, his uh, season and a bit with West Ham to, to sort of great fanfare. You know, he was coming coming back back home, if you like, to the club that he loved. And he's just not been the same player. I mean, I think he's been, by and large, pretty poor. Um, yes, as I say, this season injury has has not helped with it with that. But I think even when we have seen him play, he's been nowhere near his best. Um, and if I'm perfectly honest, at the minute, he's nowhere near that French squad. And I think in terms of his World Cup aspirations, I think unless something significant happens post Christmas, I, I just don't see him making that World Cup squad. And with that competition as well in front of him, it is only going to be harder as well unless he has a spectacular final six months of the season, really. Uh, I've got three. So the first two are a little bit smaller and then a, a, a nice one to end with. Um, the first is uh, the South Korean connection we saw at Dijon, uh, two players, the first time ever for either side um, scoring for, from the uh, from the wonderful nation. Uh, Chang-Hoon Kwon for, for Dijon and... and Union suck for for twice. It's excellent to see more nationals come into a, to a, the fantastic league. And both were first the first two scorers of South Korean descent in the, in league one as well. So great to see them both uh, performing well. Especially Kwan, he does look like a, a tidy little player for Dijon. Set up uh, Tavares' second as well, which was a really nice cross. Um, the, my second is uh, Wesley Schneider, who uh, started at the weekend against Connor. I thought he had a really nice little game. Um, it might have gone under the radar, given it was. For a Nice side that have struggled as of late, they are just above the drop zone at the moment. But he was really influential. It was more of what you would maybe expect from a Wesley Schneider. He doesn't have the pace, but he clearly still has the vision and and uh, creativity to really instigate a, a Nice side that they maybe missed when someone like Bel Honda did it last season. And especially when Seri's not in the side, they need someone to to drive them forward. And uh, it led to eventually a Pierre Lise Melo goal where. I still can't believe Akut. <laughs> if Akut stands up, he saves that goal. If he stands still, he saves the goal. Instead, he actually intentionally dives out of the way of the shot. <laughs> it was a finish, wasn't it? <laughs> it, it was abysmal. Lise Melu had two strikes on goal. Both were exactly at the goalkeeper and one went in. And that was only because the goalkeeper decided that he'll let him score this time. I think it was a pity thing more than anything. Uh, and the final one, was the incredible uh, quote-unquote bant that we saw 
at Lyon, although it was a relatively dull affair in terms of Montpellier doing what Montpellier have been excellent at the season of, of completely killing games against a, a big sides. But the fans on the 18th minute uh, heralded their suspended captain Nabil Fekir by all uh, displaying a number of shirts <laughs> held up in their tribulation. Fakir himself in the stands was thoroughly enjoying it. And uh, it's nice to see the Leon fans still uh, still enjoying that moment. They might do it for a, a little while longer yet, I have a feeling. Um, so we ha- we finished this week with... Uh, well, we haven't got an enormous amount of time, so I will just go for the, the one question time. But it is a two-part question, so uh, it's a little bit longer. And it's from uh, the Australian OL fam, and it's great to hear from you. Again, um, two-part question. The first part is the current PSG model enhancing or harming the progress of Liga as a whole. Now, there was an excellent article article in uh, the New York Times, if you've not seen it already, by... uh, His name slips my mind at the moment. It's Rory... uh, Rory Super piece on, on, on... Especially the ins- inside looking out from uh, from Lille, especially uh, the the fact that Paris Saint Germain might have not harmed the league in terms of being the sort of dominant force. Maybe more like the Bundesliga, where it's it shined a light on the league and the potential for uh, cash coming into the cl- into clubs when the uh, TV rights deal comes up at the end of the next year. That there might be a, a little bit more pie to share. What are your quick thoughts on that one? Uh, Rich first. Um, I think in terms of of enhancing the league, I think the PSG model, short term and, and arguably mid term, probably is not. Um, I think overall it, it it's causing that sort of huge divide between the, the sort of haves and have nots. Um, Long term, though, I, I remain a bit more positive. Um, I think you know, look at the players that they've brought in. Yes, they've spent ludicrous sums of money, but they're bringing in the big-name players now, the globally well-known players. And simultaneously, then, we're going to start to see um, you know, more money come into the league. You know, other, other oligarchs, other oil barons, other incredibly rich people are going to see league and think, well, actually, you know what? There's an opportunity there. Um, you know, Premier League, there's not really. Spain's difficult to get into. Germany's even more difficult to get into. Um, you know, if we want some of this this you know investment in football, then maybe France is the place to go. So I think longer term, the PSG model I think can can enhance the progress of the league. I just think it's a little short term um, uh, sort of damage causing. Yeah, and I'll give the second part to you, Peter. Really, and that's what needs to happen for Liga and clubs to progress in terms of competition domestically and. In a European scale, obviously Monaco sort of booked that trend last season. Is large-scale investment the only real hope for lower teams? You're thinking of someone just buying a club and, and trying the best, maybe a la Lille at, at the moment, possibly. Or, or can clubs adopt more of the Leon model, where they're more of a self-sustaining club, as the uh, Australian OL fan admits to here? And I also just want to throw in, obviously, Monaco's model of, of trying to buy a couple of talents as well and nurture them and sell them on for a profit and uh, lather, rinse and repeat, really. What what do you think is maybe the best for closing, well, keeping the competition in the short term? Uh, okay, well, in terms of competing in Europe, there is, at the moment, it's, it's 100% investment in, in your squad and that would have to mean intense amount of wealth. You look at the sides that make the top eight, Monaco bucked the trend. It was fantastic that they did that. 
the last eight, sorry, in, in the Champions League, all of them have enormous amounts of money behind them. So if you're looking at that sort of level in terms of European football, then, you know, that's, that's what it's got to be. What I would say is that most French clubs do are aiming at the, the Lyon model. I would say that Ren's investment in the summer, for example, was based on the idea of buying young to sell more, to sell higher, sorry, um, in the same way that, that Monaco have done so successfully. And I think that is a model to, to be followed. Lille, again, also looking at the Monaco model, sell, uh, buy cheap, sell, sell for more. Um, and it can work to an extremely, extremely uh, good level, as, as Monaco showed, depending on the, the kind of players you bring through. Lyon have got a fantastic conveyor belt of talent, um, and that's helped by the academy. And that is something that is, is actually reflected across, across the league and across French football as a whole. It seems to be something that French football is good at, is, is bringing through young talent. And you only have to see the, the, the strength and depth in the French national squad and through the youth systems. Um, to the, the calibre of players bringing through. And that is all aided, of course, by Liga and the opportunities that clubs are able to provide their young players. Because when they lose a player, for example, if they're injured, they'll, they will give youth a chance. They will push through their younger players because there isn't that kind of money floating around to, to bring in a player for 15 million euros just for a, you know, to, as a stopgap or as a temporary fix. So it's, it's a bit of both. I think if you want to be at the elite level, you've got to do a PSG and you've got to, you've got to, smash, you've got to smash transfer windows. Uh, and unless the, the financial parity between major clubs evens out and, and seeps down, which it doesn't look like it will do with their urges to break away and whatever else, then for, for clubs, it's, it's, it's the buy and sell and, and, and sustain yourself in the best way, best way possible um, and to generate that wealth on your own. But even Monaco, for example, started with a financial basis. I mean, they had uh, uh, Rubilovlev. Have I said his name right? Yes. Um, uh, it's uh, so it's yeah it's it's a bit of both. If you want to do well in Europe, you need the money. Um, but I think the Lyon model, the Monaco model, I would call it potentially a Liga model because it is quite pervasive across the the league. Is 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 a way forward to them to do well in Europe, but potentially not win the competition if if you're looking at it from that perspective. Yeah, I'm a, there's a number of things that sort of we we delve into this. I. I I agree that the Monaco one is probably easier to follow. I mean, in fairness to Leon, they have an incredible conveyor belt of talent and they always have done. And, and while other sides have bits here and there or maybe a generation of maybe three or four, that if they get lucky, they're not quite as blessed as the uh, the former champions of, of the early 2000s to have a, a real um, momentum in that one. And, and I tell you what, I would just to very quickly finish on that. If you're... If you are Ribolovlev at the moment, you will be happy because he also sold a painting for $400 million uh, this week as well, which is about the same amount he sold players for in the summer. So he's uh, rolling in it again. <laughs> it's, just, it's blessed to be him at the moment, at least anyway. Uh, that's all from us this week. Uh, my thanks to Rich, Peter, and all of you listening at home. Uh, join us for the preview show on Thursday. We'll be joined by special guest Eric Devin as well. And the main show will be back at the same time, same place next week. Abianto and goodbye.